Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, we are privileged to serve the saints. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in today. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for a particular Sunday in the church year. We follow the one-year series of readings in Lutheran Service Book, LSB, but more importantly, we are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for your salvation. Easter is not only a day, but it is an entire season, a seven-week season. Today, we are right smack dab in the middle of that season. We're going to look at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter, Jubilate, Jubilate Sunday. Uh, Fourth Sunday in Easter, Jubilate. What comes to mind, Pastor Moline? Uh, well, the word jubilate makes me think of the jubilee year from the Old Testament that was poorly practiced by the people of Israel, but the idea was that um, every 70 years, everything would return back to the way it was originally. Um, you know, So that, that makes me think of that. Uh, the word jubilate or jubilee also makes me think of uh, happiness. Uh, to a certain extent, Boy Scouts, we always had the uh, district campery and jubilees and things like that, but um, uh, those are the different things we think about with these words. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, hallelujah. That's how the introit for the day begins. It is a joyous season. It is a joyous Sunday. And uh, returning to the way things used to be, um, there is a chance, albeit a small one, but uh, a chance that by the time you hear this program that uh, some of the restrictions with regard to corporate worship here at Good Shepherd may be lifted, and if not yet, hopefully very, very soon. We are uh, planning, as we record this program, we are planning for how church will look, what the corporate worship services will be like. So stay tuned. We have a lot of different ways that we are communicating with the people of God right now. Of course, right here on KNNA 95.7 LP in Lincoln, Nebraska. Our radio website, thecross957.org. Our church website has uh, been uh, new and improved and has lots of information for you right uh, just a click or two away with regard to all all the details that are happening, and we pray that as this uh, pandemic is removed from our midst, as the restrictions become less and less, that corporate worship will resume once again around the land, around the country, here in the city of Lincoln, and especially here at Good Shepherd. With that thought in mind, the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday of Easter, John 16, 16 to 22. Vicar, please. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And 
because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Okay, we have um, beginning here with the fourth Sunday of Easter. We have our readings that are up into the upper room, the upper room discourse, Jesus and his disciples. These, this discourse took place on Monday, Thursday evening. And uh, sometimes people refer to this section or at least a portion of this section as the uh, high priestly prayer. It's uh, it's interesting to me that beginning on Palm Sunday, and by the time we get to Pentecost, we have pretty much read every verse from John chapter 12 through John chapter 21. And the Gospel of John plays a significant role. It's almost like we go back in time now on these Sundays of Easter to deal with this upper room discourse of Jesus. Uh, Pastor, thoughts on either the significance of the Gospel of John or this upper room discourse as a major, major theme for uh, Easter 4, Easter 5, Easter 6, Easter 7? Well, uh, we have to remember that in a way you can maybe think about the church year as a journey, right? And so during the season of Lent, we were journeying towards the cross, trying to look ahead to what it meant and what it meant uh, for us specifically. Uh, and Jesus is teaching his disciples these things as well as he goes forward. But it's not until the cross actually happens and the resurrection occurs that everything makes sense. And so it's appropriate then for us to go back then and look backwards and say, oh yeah, these things that were said before the cross, now they make sense since the cross has happened. Um, and so we're continuing our journey towards ascension and towards Pentecost then. And so in a way, this looking back is translate, uh, transfer, no, how do, how do I say it? transitioning, there's the word, uh, us towards ascension as well. So we're looking back at the cross and then also looking forward in the same way that someone walking, you know, um, through a field might look back to where they've been and look forward to where they're going, trying to get a grasp of where they are and what's important. These, uh, these words are uh, not only of our text here specifically, but of this entire upper room discourse are worthy of all of the time that we spend on it during this season of Easter. And I know sometimes pastors uh, get a little bogged down, get a little tired of it, and uh, they want to move on. So this becomes the time in the season when pastors only preach on the epistle reading or the Old Testament reading, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but almost to the point where they avoid this upper room discourse. And 
this has been the focus of this Easter season for more than a thousand years. It is, uh, it is, these are very, very significant words of Jesus. And just like you watch a movie and then you already know how it's going to end, but when you watch the movie the second time or the third time, you pick up on details because you know the ending, you pick up on details that you never, ever dreamed uh, were there the first time through it. And the same is true for any book that you would read. And I think there's a lot of that that's going on here. Now that we know Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the grave by his bloody death and glorious resurrection, these words take on a whole new um, flair. They take on a whole new substance, whatever. And uh, that's what the, uh, the true and faithful preacher has an opportunity to bring to the hearers right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, and just like you said, um, my family and I were just watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with the kids the other day because they just finished reading that book. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, there are all sorts of little clues about how the movie is going to end. There's all sorts of little hints. And it's, you know, when I was a kid watching it, it never made any sense. But now as an adult watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's because this is happening. And, and seeing the events that happened before helped to clarify what happens at the end of the book as well. And that's what we're doing here. And it's moving us then, like I said, towards ascension also. All right. Now, by my count in this uh, text, John 16, 16 to 22, the phrase, a little while, is given seven times. Seven times. That would probably make me think that that has some kind of significance, Pastor. Uh, a little while. What's going on here with this phrase, with this phrase re being repeated? And uh, is Jesus like a riddler here? He wants us to, to uh, dig deep into some vast store of knowledge. Uh, is it plainer than we realize? A little while. No, I think it is plainer than we realize in, the, in this sense. Jesus is teaching them, uh, and this is, again, Monday, Thursday uh, evening, he is teaching them that he is soon to be arrested, soon to be crucified, and it'll look like he's gone. And this will happen in a little while. He'll be gone for a little while, and then he'll come back in a little while. Um, and that's important. I think it's important for us as well as Christians to think about the fact that um, our lives before we leave this world and go to be with God are only a little while as well. I mean, you've been in the uh, nursing home or the hospital with a person who's 90 years old or even talked to a grandma or a grandpa, you know, and you say, boy, these kids are just being ornery. And they say, enjoy it while you have them because they'll be gone before you know it. Our whole lives are really just a little while. And then we get to be with Christ in a little while. And that little while uh, that's ahead of us before we're with Christ is nothing in comparison to the amount of time that we'll be with Jesus in his kingdom. I think that's really an important thing for us to understand as Christians as well. Our present suffering is just a little while and cannot compare with the glory that's to be revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we're going to get that uh, more fully from Jesus a little bit later in our text. Vicar, um, on, the, on the basest level here, this is Monday, Thursday, where these words are being spoken back and forth, where this conversation is taking place. Jesus says, a little while you will see me, and then you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. With that theme that Pastor Moline talked about, you know, now we know the end of the story. 
when we look at that at its purest and simplest form on Monday, Thursday, what is he telling them is going to happen before it happens? He's going to he's going to die for the forgiveness of all, descend into hell, and on the third day rise, and the the tomb will be empty, and that's when the jubilate comes. And even though that little while is only a few days, um, every time Jesus uses this in this John sixteen reading, the word for it is micron, puts an actual extension of the meaning of how small this amount of time is. So we have on Monday Thursday. Uh, the disciples are seeing Jesus. And in a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, crucified, killed, and laid in a tomb. And they're not going to see him for three days. And then Jesus is going to rise from the dead, and then they will see him for 40 days. And then in a little while, they won't see him again. And so we have this on, on the very, very base level. We have Jesus explaining what's going to happen. Now, Pastor, I like to say that Jesus is telling the disciples what's going to happen so that they do not panic and fear needlessly when these things do happen. The love of Jesus for the disciples is so great that he is doing everything humanly possible, divinely possible for that matter, to comfort them before the crucifixion and the burial. Uh, we got 20 seconds. Yay, no, or maybe? Yeah, I think so. But I think uh, there's also the reality of sin that's present here. And so this is where we see them again on Easter. They're still in fear, and they don't really know what's going on until Jesus shows up and preaches to them. And it's the hearing of God's word then that creates faith in them that really comprehends the joy and blessing that Easter brings. Amen, amen. We need to take a short break. Proclaiming the one. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter, Jubilate Sunday. It is a joyous festivity, the season of Easter. We're basking in the glow of Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave. Our gospel reading for Easter 4, John 16, 16 to 22. We looked at that phrase a little while in our earlier segment. And uh, Pastor, I, I don't want to go back to that conversation completely. But in verse 18, we see that the disciples are truly Lutheran because they ask the Lutheran question, what does this mean? What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Now, I just want to focus in on that verse right there. Um, there have been many times when I have heard you give a discourse 
when these kind of things come up in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. When people seem to be stupid, uh, obtuse, missing the nose right in front of their face, why is it that people cannot figure these things out by their own reason or strength? Yeah, why can't um, why can't we tell if we're in the forest? There's too many trees in the way to see, right? Uh, it's it's sin, and there's the problem that the disciples have, and that all people except for Christ have is sin, and sin if you will, veils our eyes from seeing the fullness of God's glory and uh, realizing or being able to figure out for ourselves how God is going to save us because it's impossible. Um, It must be revealed knowledge that teaches us about God. And the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's talking about can't be made known until Jesus shows up resurrected and talks to them and shows them his hands and his side and uh, speaks peace to them and says, here, here's what I've been talking about. Look, it's been a little while and then this happened a little while this happened and now i'm alive again to live and reign forever and without the cross and without the resurrection christianity can't make sense and it won't make sense and i think that's actually a big problem that our world struggles with uh as a society you know um this is why maybe it looks like christianity is dying now is because so many churches have gone away from what the real important thing of Christianity is, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, and gone into moral teaching and things like that. And when you're in that, outside of uh, the truth of the resurrection and the crucifixion, without those things, Christianity can't really make sense, and it seems foolish, in fact. You said so many things there that I want to jump off at, and uh, you talked about a revealed knowledge of God, and that's in contrast to a natural knowledge that all people everywhere have. You know, we're able to figure out certain things with our natural knowledge, but there are other things that are locked away from us. These must be revealed to us. Now, there is a kind of a generic term, and it can be used and applied in a much more specific way, but there is a generic term called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And uh, generically speaking, Gnosticism is the teaching that there is some secret knowledge that is out there. And you need to figure out how to unlock this secret knowledge. Maybe that's by counting vowels uh, or numbers in Scripture. Maybe that is by uh, reading other outside Scripture sources so that you can see that... um, Uh, The current president or the past president is the Antichrist and that China and Russia are really Gog and Magog, the secret knowledge. And once you have this secret knowledge, then then all these other truths will be unlocked to you. Pastor, how is it that all of these Gnostic approaches, whether it's in the Bible or outside of the Bible, How is it that all of these Gnostic approaches do exactly what you said we should not do? And that is skip over or forget about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, um, the reality is is that any religion that's not centered around the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus ultimately struggles with this problem, and that's because it doesn't make any sense. There's no way you could invent something as foolish as this, um, as 
Christ crucified and raised, God dying and living again. Um, and you, I mean, you could come up with crazy things like the Egyptians or whatnot, where they have resurrection taught, but the fullness of who Christ is and what he's done and how it relates to you as a sinful person, that is something that can't be invented, it can't be imagined, it can't be created. Um, there's only the truth that is revealed by God, the true God, who says, this is who I am. In the same way, maybe this is the way to think about it, you don't really know who I am unless I tell you who I am, right? I could pretend to be a particular way, or you could think I'm a particular way, but unless I have a conversation with you and share my identity with you, you don't really know me. Um, I think there are lots of movies that are centered around that whole idea. And that's the same thing with God. We don't know who God is until he tells us and shows us and brings himself to us. And he does that in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. And that's then where we look to find him. And if we are not satisfied with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, if we think God is holding out on us some secret knowledge in addition to the crucifixion and resurrection, then we will leave the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus behind and we will run after all of these Gnostic rabbit holes that are out there and Satan wins. Yep. Satan wins. And we need to be so very, very careful, especially while everybody is zeroed in on Netflix and YouTube and every conspiracy theory that is out there with regard to what's happening with this pandemic, what's happening with the upcoming election, what's happening with the last election. All these things can take our focus off of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is is what Satan wants. He wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's that's paganism, then. If our eyes are not focused on Christ, no matter what religious name you put on it, it could be Christian paganism, it could be Muslim paganism, it could be Roman paganism. But any time that we aren't looking at the revealed God, but instead only at the natural God and trying to understand it based on that, we end up in paganism ultimately. I mean, this is Jupiter, right? Why does some guy get struck with struck with lightning and not others? Well, Jupiter must have struck him with lightning, and uh, so we have a lightning god. And then why did this guy, you know, uh, fall into the river and drown, and that guy swam across? Well, there must be a river god then, too. And we can come up with a million gods that way, but it's not until Jesus tells us who he is that we understand the real god. Well said. Vicar, again, on that very basic level, this is Monday, Thursday night, verse 20, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What's he talking about here? Talking about his arrest and leading into his crucifixion. They will weep because they're, they're seeing their rabbi, who they spent three years with, um, teaching them the kingdom of the God they do not quite fully understand, but now they're going to see him beaten, tortured, arrested, nailed to a cross, and they will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice because what that means for the world, past, present, and future, is a forgiveness of sins. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Vicar, again, on that very basic level, what is he teaching them is going to happen? 
He's teaching them of the resurrection to come in a little while. Uh, On the third day, it it was taught to them three times at least that on the third day he will rise. They didn't quite understand it, but their sorrow will turn into great joy when they are able to behold and physically see their uh, rabbi, Lord Jesus Christ, back with them in that upper room. At the end of our text, he reinforces that where he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is preparing them for the most horrific grief and horror they could possibly imagine and telling them, don't give up. I know what's going on. God's doing this for you. Pastor, uh, Jesus tells a little story here or a little parable, and I know it's always difficult when three men are sitting around a table talking about having babies, but what is Jesus teaching us when he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. What is the point? Christ is teaching us that they're going to suffer and that they're going to weep and that uh, the same pain that a mother has when she's giving birth is the same pain they'll feel as their Lord uh, is taken from them and killed and as they seemingly think that the last three years were worthless and fruitless. Um, but just like a woman, when uh, she finally holds the baby in her arms, uh, you know, is excited and is like, let's have 12 more. Um, that's the same joy that the disciples are going to have on Easter when Christ shows up to them alive uh, and living and reigning for all eternity. And that joy can never be taken away from them. They'll always have it, no matter what goes forward. Um, this is why when they're beaten and arrested, they rejoice that they've been found worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. Uh, They still have joy in the sufferings of this world, looking forward to the peace of comfort of God. That joy that God promises swallows up our pain, our sorrow, our heartache, everything bad, evil, and wicked that is going on now, the joy that God promises in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real and will swallow up whatever we're going through. Pastor, with the time that we have left, apply that to our present situation where fear, and specifically the fear of death and pandemic, is everywhere in the world and in most, if not all, hearts. How do we apply this? Well, uh, if we look at... um the news or we watch the news or we talk with our neighbors or we see the uh you know the predictions about how many are going to be dead and suffering and all these things be really easy for us to be down and depressed about things but the promise is is that Jesus has overcome the world and that um, you're going to die someday, but Jesus is going to undo it on the last day. He's going to put you back alive forever and as we said earlier uh the sufferings of this present age cannot compare with the glory to be revealed when our Lord Jesus Christ rises us from the dead again. And that is the joy that we have. And so we don't need to worry about it. You know, if I get sick and die of coronavirus, you know, um, I'm sure my family will be sad, at least for a little while. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys here, Pastor Poppy especially, will be really sad that I'm gone. But I know that I'll be raised from the dead on the last day to live with God forever. And so uh, that's where my hope and peace and comfort is found. Amen. Again, well said. And uh, our grief and our heartache 
is always temporary, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that holds these chapters together, John 14, 15, 16, this uh, upper room discourse of Jesus, that Jesus' love for you is so great that he is comforting you now. Whatever difficulties, pain, and heartache lies in your future or you're dealing with right now. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. These are trying and difficult times for many weeks now. Most congregations have had suspended worship services or limiting things to a gathering of 10. We are hopeful that these restrictions are going to be eased or lifted in the near future. We pray that God would remove this pestilence from our land. At the present time, all scheduled worship services at Good Shepherd have been suspended, and yet every scheduled worship service will be played on the radio, KNNA 95.7 LP here in Lincoln, on our uh, radio website, thecross957.org, YouTube, Facebook, all the different things, and uh, they've all been gathered and collected for you on our church website page, goodshepherdlincoln.org. So check us out, and we pray that God will be lifting these restrictions quickly, and uh, if we have to have a uh, shorter and more numerous worship schedule at Good Shepherd, we will get that information out as quickly as we can, check back to all these various resources, and may God bless us as we come together as the people of God once again. The Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday of Easter seems to be very appropriate that we would be going to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, sort of the uh, supplemental book with the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations, where we get the um, uh, section on the Good Friday uh, Traor service, the, uh, the, the woes, and uh, very, very painful section of scripture but right smack dab in the middle of lamentations we have some jubilate we have some joy vicar lamentations 3 22 to 33 the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the lord is my portion says my soul therefore i will hope in him The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth, 
Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but, though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Okay, we have a uh, very familiar uh section of scripture i'm sure by far the most familiar part of the book of lamentations and for some one of the more familiar parts of the entire old testament the uh the hymn or kind of almost a spiritual great is thy faithfulness is uh, based right on these words from lamentation three these words are read often at a funeral uh for a christian there is a joy in the midst of uh, grieving. Pastor, I want to take a little bit different approach to this. Um, as Vicar was reading these words, all I could think about was Jesus. All I could think about was how these words, while we generally apply them to ourselves, these words seem to be talking about Jesus. Um where it's talking about um, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, verse 30. Let him be filled with insults. The Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Um, That sounds an awful lot like what we were talking about in our gospel reading a little while, a little while, and I was pumping vicar and during those segments for the obvious monday thursday in a little while jesus is going to die in a little while jesus is going to rise in a little while jesus is going to ascend into heaven um am am i on track or completely out of whack looking at these words and i just did a few but looking at these words as a prophecy uh a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's one of those things that I think we can see Christ in it, and yet at the same time, I don't know that it's directly only referring to Christ or whatnot. There are some things that are different. For example, earlier in the chapter, uh, in verse 4, it says, uh, he has broken my bones, and we know for Jesus that that's one of the things that did not happen. No bones were broken. That's recounted for us by John, I believe, Uh, and also then is the idea of the... um, Passover lamb in which no bones are broken when it is cooked. There's other things like that. And so we we do see Jesus embodying it. Uh, We also see a greater suffering uh, across all people in our sin. And these are the things that we deal with. And, And so I don't say, I wouldn't say you couldn't have it be about Christ, but it's not only about Christ, it's about all people in the world and the result of the sin uh, that is in this world and what it does to us, and that's the suffering that we have. And in the midst of that, because of Jesus, we have a promise. God's faithfulness is great, and it's there, and in his death and resurrection, that's the solution to all the suffering that lamentation lays out for us, and that's where I think we can definitely find Jesus for sure. Earlier in this program, we talked about how when you know the end of the story, sometimes you pick up on little details when you 
hear or read or watch the story again. And I think that's what's going on here in these words in Lamentations. When you know what our Lord and Savior Jesus did for us, whenever you see in Scripture someone who is unjustly attacked, someone who stands before his accusers and is silent, um, verse 28, uh, being stricken on the cheek, being insulted, we we naturally think and our our focus and our attention is drawn to Jesus, even though these are natural afflictions because of sin, we we are drawn to the one who has conquered sin, death, and the devil. Even where I'd, I'd say when we get later on in the chapter, chapter 3 to verses like 55 and following, that's where I think we start to really focus on Jesus, where we hear, um, you have taken up my cause, O Lord, you have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done, done against me, O Lord, judge my cause. Uh, you have heard their taunts and their plots against me. Uh, you uh, have you will repay them according to the works of their hands. You will give them the dullness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. That's where I think then we get to Jesus making things right even a little bit more than we do earlier. Uh, it's interesting the way this particular chapter is written because it talks— uh, all the, the verses start with the word he for a long section where it's talking about some third person. Then we have places where they all start with the word you, and that's talking to God. And we have these in between where we have this ambiguity where it can be both us and God, uh, and that's where we're kind of stuck in where this particular section of chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's focus in on those familiar words from Lamentations 3, 23 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We've got three things here that seem to be equated. Steadfast love, mercy, faithfulness. Those three things seem to be the the things that are highlighted here in uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. How are we to understand steadfast love, mercy, and faithfulness when it comes to the reason for our celebration and our jubilation? Well, when we talk about love, we could say no greater love is there than this, that one give up his life for his friends, uh, or uh, that Jesus goes to the cross and suffers and bleeds and dies for us. Uh, same with mercy. Uh, mercy is uh, what Christ bestows upon us through his life, death, and resurrection, uh, what we do not deserve, we get to inherit uh, God's kingdom and eternal life. Um, and so in these these things, they are fulfilled in the work of Jesus, and he is the one then who is faithful to us. Uh, he's the one who doesn't abandon us. He won't let us behind. He keeps dragging us with him, if you will, uh, all the way into eternal life, and that's all these things then are embodied by Jesus. There seems to be kind of a natural escalation here because these things are never going to run out. They're never going to run out. They're never going to run out. Oh, and they're new every morning. So not only are they not going to have an expiration date, they're not going to run out, but it appears if they're new every morning that they're more and more and more and more building upon each other. Is that is that what we're supposed to be thinking of here, Pastor? Yeah, uh, and that they're 
as certain to come to us as the sun getting up in the morning. You know, um, you think about things that you know are going to happen, right? The sun will rise. Um, there's very little chance that it will not. Um, and that's the same thing with God's grace and mercy and faithfulness. Uh, it's just as sure and certain as that. And I, I think this reflects then the words of Psalm 130. Uh, I will wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. That's the same certainty we have uh, in Jesus' love for us. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. We have that in Lamentations 3.25. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord, because the mercies of God never come to an end, because his mercy is and faithfulness is new every morning, it overflows in hope. It overflows in hope. In verse 20, uh, 32, though he cause grief, he will have compassion. Hope and compassion. Pastor, as we bring this section to a close, what are they and why are they so necessary in the life of a Christian? Well, uh, hope is believing in something that you can't see, right? Um, Maybe that's the simple way to put it. Um, Our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in Jesus. We don't see him with our eyes. Uh, Seeing is not believing in these things, but we know that they're true and we trust in them. Um, Compassion, then, is what Christ has for us. It's that welling up of mercy and love and and, faith. all the things we talked about before, faithfulness and compassion, that that is welling up within him. It's moving his heart to act on our behalf, and that's what compassion really is. Dear friends, do not lose hope, whatever your situation is. If you're uh, concerned about your 401k, if you're concerned about your health, if you're concerned about the national economy, if you're concerned about your employment, if you're concerned about your neighbor, if you're concerned about our country, uh, concerned about the congregation weathering the storm, all of these things are very, very real situations. Do not lose hope. God's promises are real and sure. His love and his mercy will never run out, and they are new for you every morning. Thanks be to God. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at our epistle reading for Easter 4, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Wow, what a beautiful rendition of Now All the Vault of Heaven Resounds. We've been playing that for our bumper music today. Great hymn of jubilation, a great hymn of celebration, a great hymn rejoicing. 
in the victory of Christ over sin, death, and the devil, his resurrection from the dead, and because Christ is risen, now all the vault of heaven resounds. Thanks be to God. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, a little while, a little while, John 16, 16 to 22. In our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading for Easter 4, Lamentations 3, 22 to 33. Great is thy faithfulness. And now we want to take a look at our epistle reading, hopefully bringing all of the things that we've talked about together. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Vicar? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. All right, earlier in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we read that the blood of <clears throat> Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. And I'm a firm believer that that verse is the theme verse, the key verse, the, uh, the verse that really holds the exegetical key to understanding everything in uh, the five chapters of John's first epistle, 1 John. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. That is a synecdoche. It's not only talking about the blood of Jesus, but the entire person and work of Jesus apart for a whole. So in these three verses, we have a lot of stuff to unpack, things that can be uh, properly understood in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and things that can take us off on some wild tangents and some crazy rabbit holes. Okay, first, on a very, very simple and base level, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. I just want to focus on love and gift or given. That sounds an awful lot like John 3.16 to me. Pastor, love and gift. Don't, uh, don't get into the whole children of God thing yet. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. What's he referring to? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, that was pretty simple. Yeah. That, that is love, isn't it? And, that, and aren't we talking John 3.16 there, too? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Are we talking the crucifixion there, too? Yeah, I, and both of those. And I think, you know, if we want to bring John 3.16 into this, I think we have to take John 3.16 into its context, which is just as Moses lifted up the serpent uh, and all people looked at him and thus were saved, uh, so has also the Son of Man the necessary uh, action of being lifted up on a cross. And so, again, in both of these things, it's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's the love of God. That's where it's shown to you, and I think that's what we've talked about in the other segments as well. Okay, now we get a little more complicated. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
So is that implying that because Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, that all people everywhere are called the children of God, that all people are going to heaven, that all people benefit from what Christ has done? Uh, I wouldn't say wouldn't say it the way that you just said it in that regard that all people I said are automatically say I said it that way on purpose so okay. um, that's not what it's saying because we use the word we here that we can be called children of God and the we implies those who are of the Christian faith who trust in Jesus Christ as their uh, Lord um, that's the we that's being put forward here we are God's children because we have been adopted in the waters of holy baptism we are connected like uh, clinging to Jesus Christ in faith and so when God looks at us he sees Jesus and we are therefore the heirs of God and that's made clear from First John chapter 1, where it's talking about those who are in Christ Jesus, who enjoy the fellowship of having uh, this faith relationship with Christ Jesus. Okay, early on, I think it was in the very first part, I, uh, I kind of got on my soapbox with regard to secret knowledge and Gnosticism and all this kind of stuff. Here, uh, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So we have this knowing or this gnosis word here in, uh, in the Greek. Um, what are we talking about with regard to the world does not know us because it did not know him? Is this some secret knowledge? Is this some uh, Gnostic knowledge? Uh, uh, hidden truth that needs to be unlocked by our reason or strength, or is it something else? No, it's not some secret knowledge or any Gnosticism. It's just a straight-up, plain, simple-to-understand statement. The world doesn't understand Christians because it doesn't understand Christ. It doesn't know who Christ was. It doesn't believe he's the Son of God. You see this on the History Channel like around Easter time, right? Uh, the real Jesus, the true Jesus, uh, just some nice moral teacher and, and whatnot. And that's not knowing the truth about who Jesus was. And if you don't know that Jesus was God in the flesh— who suffered and rose from the dead, uh, then you don't understand why Christians do the things that they do. We see this in the uh, ancient world before Christianity became uh, the main religion in the Roman Empire. They didn't understand Christians. Uh, the Diocletian persecution shows this. The Decian one, the Decian persecution was specifically because they wouldn't bow down to worship the emperor as a god on earth. And they couldn't understand why you wouldn't do that. You know, if, if we give you the option of dying or worshiping the emperor, you're going to choose death. That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Well, that's because they didn't understand that Jesus really was the true God and, and can't stand for that. And so that's the way the world still works even till now. Yeah, the world doesn't understand Christians today, that a Christian would choose to be honest in their business practices rather than to lie and to cheat and to steal like the world does, that a Christian would choose to be faithful to his or her spouse rather than uh, indulge in all kinds of sexual perversions. And the list could go on and on and on. The world doesn't understand how Christians act, think, and move because they don't realize that Christians believe that sin is real and that Christ has forgiven their sin by his bloody death and glorious resurrection. And now they want to conform themselves to the word of God and to Christ rather than 
than to the world. And the world will never understand that. And I think the sooner we realize that, the less grief and heartache we will have as Christians. We'll quit banging our head up against the wall. Now, Pastor, there's one more section here that is often uh, misunderstood. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Does this mean that all Christians turn into little deities, that all Christians become gods, maybe even, as some people teach, gods of their own planet? What is what is uh, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaching us here in these words, especially, we shall be like him? Well, um, no, we're not. This isn't teaching Mormonism uh, or any other false religion. This is teaching the resurrection. So we had the love part, which is the crucifixion, and now we have the resurrection part. Um, And so what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, if I kick the bucket, um, I look like I'm dead, and it doesn't make any sense. And the hope that we have as Christians in the resurrection seems foolish and empty. That's because the resurrection of all the world has not happened yet. But when Christ comes back, the resurrection, Christ, we'll all be like him, alive and resurrected. That's what this is promising here. So we are we are not talking about uh, some sort of theosis or a gradual transformation of a Christian into a more godlike being. Uh, maybe you can help us understand what theosis is, uh, that teaching, and how that is so very, very different from the sanctification that takes place in the life of a Christian. Yeah, um, we could we could try and do that. Yeah, we got about quick. two minutes. <laughs> um, theosis uh, is a transformative process whose aim is likeness to or union with God, and it's an Eastern Orthodox um, teaching uh, as a process of transformation. It's brought about by catharsis cleansing out of the badness in you maybe is the way to say it and it's not the truth the clear teaching of scripture and i want to say it's from thessalonians is that uh, at a moment in a twinkling of an eye when the trumpet sounds christ returns we shall be changed Um, and that means that we'll go from death to life and that's whether we are death in the grave or death in the mortuary or death lost in the ocean we shall be changed and resurrected at that moment in the twinkling of an eye when the trumpet sounds. And that's also if we're still alive. Um, You know, the person that we have, that we are now, that is slowly dying, and we can see this when we look at Pastor Poppy and we see the wrinkles and the gray hair and, you know, the the bald head that he's pointing at. I'm not bringing that part up, but we look at him and we know that he's dying because his body is falling apart. That will be changed and it will all be made right and sin will be eliminated at that moment in the twinkling of an eye when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. And so it is not theosis. It is uh, at that moment. And I think I encourage you to listen to Handel's Messiah, which has that great... uh, I want to say it's a bass aria that that sings, We Shall Be Changed, uh, that uh, emphasizes that really well set to music. The Christian that knows Christ, that knows Good Friday and Easter, that clings to it with all their life, that believes that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, 
sincerely desires to hear the word of God and do it, <coughs> to live a Christian life, even though it can't be perfect, to live that life and that uh, growth in our faith, that sanctification isn't turning us into little gods, but it's just simply being who Christ has called us to be in the waters of holy baptism. This is Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We've looked at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. On Sunday morning when you get up, I'm not sure how you're going to do it, but read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor. Somehow, online, in person, go to church. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. See you next week. Nebraska.